What's up, everyone? Welcome to this edition of Hiring University. It's me, John Beck, your host. Today, we welcome Mike Piacente, Managing Partner and Co-Founder at Hitch Partners. Hitch Partners is a retained search firm specializing in the security leadership space. And in addition to security projects, also does a lot of work within the product security, security engineering, physical security, and cloud IT across all verticals of which Mike and his team have placed hundreds. Prior to starting Hitch in 2017, Mike held various managing partner and leader positions at executive search firms, as well as in the managed hosting space, which I will touch on in a second. Mike, great to see you. Thanks for coming on the show and welcome to Hiring University. Hey, John. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Mike, I want to kick off our conversation by noting that you and I are part of a very, very exclusive club. Prior to jumping into the search space, Mike started a managed hosting company that later evolved into a cloud infrastructure company that ultimately was sold to one of the largest companies on the planet, NTT out of Japan. The club that Mike and I uh, share are the former vice president of sales that went on to start staffing or search companies. So I guess you could say this is our annual club meeting in addition to a podcast reporting. My first question to you, Mike, which I get all the time myself is, why on earth did you ever go into search and staffing coming from an internet hosting and infrastructure background? It's great to be part of that club. Certainly some of the best years of my life with those, with those guys, uh, both SiteSmith and OpSource were, were amazing experiences for me. Um, and I, I would say that that kind of shaped, um, you know, where I, where I decided to, to get into uh, search. I certainly didn't know anything about search before I got into it, but I, I love the people portion and really understanding people and listening to people as part of the role in both of those organizations and even previous organizations. But um, what I realized is that I wasn't going to be very technical. I wasn't going to be able to compete technically. Um, I could manage, but I, I definitely had some some areas where I needed to improve on the management. But I was always I felt like I was always fairly strong at, at really deciphering what people wanted versus what the company, uh, what their expectation of the of the performance and uh, needs were. And so when I started looking around, I found uh, uh, actually a friend and a a neighbor, good friend of mine, who gave me an opportunity to come in and help build out uh, what eventually became a CIO practice in an existing CFO and financial uh, finance and accounting executive search firm, a company called CB Partners. And I was there for about 10 years after OpSource. And it was a great experience. I learned a lot from that team and uh, how how to recruit. And uh, really built out uh, sort of the recipe that that we now use now, but um, but th- that gave me a great insight into that. But it was it was really staying close to the profession that I was in, and actually trying to now work on uh, finding positions and being of value to the people that I was trying to be. Uh, and I just sort of switched sides. So I guess I guess I put on the Darth Vader suit and became an executive recruiter out of uh, being a sort of operations practitioner on the sales and, and operations side. So yeah, that's kind of how I got my start. And uh, it's been it's been a fascinating ride. I agree with you. OpSource and before that SiteSmith and even before that Global Center were great places to, uh, to sharpen your saw and come up through the ranks and great alumni groups to be part of. Do you think, uh, and it's amazing to see what people have gone on to do, do you think that your background because you were, you know, one, uh, a founder and two, you know, working with a technical solution, internet infrastructure and all the things that come around that in the managed hosting data center, you know, now cloud space, whatever you want to call it. Do you think that that's helped you along the way 
as a recruiter in executive search because you've lived it, as you said, on the other side of the desk. Does that think you think that's helped you and given you credibility? Yeah, I can't speak for the credibility part, but I, I do feel that there's a level of confidence in understanding how software producing companies, ex- extremely high consequence data situations, how they look at their operations, security, IT teams, their their prod, you know, prod dev and, and engineering organizations. I guess it, it's given me the, uh, the sort of the confidence in understanding how to communicate when, when we when we hear of a client's specific needs, you know, to me, it's not a bunch of buzzwords. We, we sort of live through it uh, in a way in the very beginnings. I mean, and you look at, you bring up a great point, the, the alumni from not just the Zeitsmiths and Opsource, but the, the other companies out there, you know, the Totalities and um, Opsware, you know, that those kind of companies, Seven, um, seven Space, if I recall, uh, the Verizon business guys, like, they're all in places of high influence now and CTO, founder, some of the largest technology footprints in the world are run by those former data center ops guys and, um, and, and really strong engineers out there. So I think it's just, for me, it's given that, you know, it's nice to be able to work with friends you've known for 10, 20 years. Um, there's a level of trust there, but I just also gives the confidence that I, I kind of know what they've been through, even though I'm not a coder, uh, don't claim to be one, um, just to understand what the day in the life is and, and how to match to that, how to match to that speed, that pace, that level of ambiguity, all that you learned during those foundational times at places like OpSource, yeah, um, because that was so prevalent back then. We were all just trying to figure it all out. That's right. And so it was, it was pretty fascinating. But there is a little bit of credibility as well. I mean, I do, people do look up every once in a while to look up and say, well, this guy's not a normal search guy. He actually has operations experience from the data center world. We, you know, we lived through, you know, the 9-11 time of post 9-11 and yes. OpSource was right in the middle of that. So it's just, you know, pretty, pretty crazy times, but certainly benefits now uh, for sure. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree that, that you didn't realize at the time, but you were, as you said, literally inventing and making stuff up along the way and uh, which has set the foundation for a lot of things that are in place today. I, I want you to tell me, you know, a little bit about where Hitch plays, but if you can do so through the lens of what's happened in the midst of the pandemic. Obviously, the need and demand for security has been heightened even more so as more workers are remote and business models shift. There's new, you know, something in the news every day, whether it's on a macro scale with the SolarWinds hack down to corporate Zoom meetings being hijacked uh, with unwanted visitors. You must be busy and, and tell me what the pandemic, what the impact has been to your practice and your clients' practice. We are an executive search firm. Uh, I would consider us in the boutique. Um, we're very specific. Um, we do one thing very well, <laughs> and that is, uh, and, and I'm not sure about the other things, <laughs> but we do one thing really well, and that is that we really specialize on CISO and head of security or security leadership roles that are specifically engineering oriented. So that's in the AppSec or security engineering or cloud security environments. These are all very high consequence, fast growth organizations either a startup uh, that's going public or in a high density situation, or maybe an enterprise that's looking to transform into delivering their products and services via the cloud. They hadn't done that before. While we do other things besides uh, besides that, like manage uh, physical security officers and data protection officers and privacy officers and compliance, 
Um, uh, the CISO world is sort of our bread and butter. We run about 20 to 25 of those searches a year. And we do run them like programs and um, almost like a product launch. Maniacal about the details, about transparency of who we're talking to, how we're talking to it, compensation. And so that that's kind of the thumbnail of, of, of how we do it. Uh, we have a pretty small team. We focus in that particular area. As, as far as the other part of the question, 2020 sort of was, a, first of all, it was a banner year for the CISO. Uh, and I say CISO, it could be on the physical side, it could be on the cyber side, but it was really an effect of the market that really changed the game across the, the space. Everything about the position changed. The audience and the communication changed. You know, we were, we were now seeing CISOs communicating directly to the board where they hadn't been before. A smaller percentage, you know, of that went to a larger percentage the level of communication around the work from home situation and how integral the CISO was in those conversations, working hand in hand with the CIO, if there was one, or with the the, um, the marketing team, whatever it might, might be for internal and external communication, everything around the audience and around the communication in 2020 changed. It also changed the reporting structure. We started seeing higher level reporting. Um, in many cases, companies were not sponsoring the CISO to be at an executive level that a lot of that changed in 2020, or I should say the percentage of that increased, the scope increased. We started seeing more IT organizations reporting under on the CISO organization, whereas just a few years back, almost all CISOs reported into the CIO. We've seen a lot of companies hiring their CISO first and not hiring their CIO next, almost including the, the IT function, which is very important under the CIO or the CISO. Um, location, compensation, executive protections, um, just when companies are hiring, smaller companies hiring much sooner for a CISO, realizing that their their brand and their data set is, is really dependent on data and privacy and that that's their brand. Larger companies being better positioned uh, really changed the way that they deliver their products. Uh, a lot of companies were born into software delivering products overnight with the pandemic, which changed the way they looked at security and how their systems were protected. So, I mean, I could go on, but it's it's essentially, it was a game negative things as well, um, such as a lot more burnout. There's a lot of situations where CISOs are not being sponsored correctly. Um, we can get into that as well, but I, uh, that, that those are some of the, the sort of the things that come to mind. It was a, it was a really a banner year for the 2000 or for 2020, whereas the pandemic was negative for many you know, situations and individuals. For the CISO particularly, uh, for the most part, it was, a, um, it was sort of a game changer. I want to expand on the, the question around when's the right inflection point for a company to think about hiring a CISO. You, you just rattled off all the things that have changed with the job. They're taking on more responsibility. They touch everything in the organization. They're typically part of executive teams. Even a few years ago, a CISO was kind of a luxury after the thought more mature company hire. Today, is it does it start when you know company gets that Series A ten to fifteen million dollars? Is it that early? What's the right point and profile, I guess, of that person to grow and scale with the company along the way? What do you see? Great question. And and so that's just one scenario of when to hire a CISO. We can get into other ones, but specific to your question of. When you have a young company, specifically a Series A, Series B, Series C, the predominant uh, driver is one of three things. Uh, one uh, is the engineering organization and the, and the product development organization at a point where they need 
uh, a partner to really work with them and uh, help them as to to creating security first code and security uh, related um, you know from, it might, might be from a compliance perspective it might be from the code perspective but there is a driver there uh, usually from the engineering organization at least that's what we're seeing that requires uh, either the board drives it or the actual engineering team drives it where they're saying you know look we have great engineering uh, talent that is security minded and now we need to take it to the next level and actually make this its own function, sometimes reporting into engineering uh, or even the CTO, or sometimes reporting outside of engineering. Um, uh, that's one area where, where they are looking specifically for an engineering-oriented uh, uh, head of security, uh, we'll call it that. Sometimes uh, Series A's typically don't uh, still handle uh, full CISOs. Um, they're ha- handling a lot of or managing a lot of director or senior director, or even some VP level um, positions, but uh, we're still not seeing the predominant number of Series A's hiring what we would consider a true CISO. It might be a director with a CISO title, but it's still reporting under uh, maybe a VP under engineering. But either way, there's a, there's some sort of divergence uh, or understanding of hey, we're going to be very big very soon. Um, our 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 product needs to be partnered with um, the true experts in the security space. And, and we really need to have our engineering uh, teams focus on building, uh, building products and building them right. And so that they look for a partner to either embed themselves into the engineering organization or they create a separate you know, DevSecOps team or SecEng team that sits under uh, its own you know, uh, CISO organization. That, that would be one category. The other category is in compliance. The company is selling a product or delivering a product that is very focused around regulatory and compliance and governance. And in order for them to have a true narrative around their security, they need to have the appropriate compliance standards met, and they need to have a very strong story around that in order to have their sales teams and their, the marketability of the company. So that's another driver um, of when to hire us. So we've seen Series A companies hiring because they're in high consequence data situations like fintech or health tech, as an example. We've done a number of those searches over the last year. And we, we would not have seen that really in 2019 or 18, but 2020, we saw the emergence of uh, new Series C, Series A's hiring. Um, I think the other, the other area is when the board uh, recognizes that maybe they're on multiple, you know, maybe their board members are on other boards and they realize that this, this CISO topic is much more um, of, of a big deal as, as a new company, as a, as a more younger company with technical founders they will make the recommendation often, usually the VCs uh, who have this playbook saying, you know, you're hiring your CISO sooner than later. And so th- those are just a couple scenarios, but the, the biggest one by far is uh, when there's a, a need for a split from the engineering organization or a need for an additional kind of gear to be added. Um, that's when we see most of the uh, the activity. It's interesting because everything that you just shared was related to job function and organizational structure, less so about technology. So there's a lot to consider, especially in this day and age. You compete, if that's the right word, as we do, against internal recruiting and corporate recruiting efforts and resources and teams. Every company thinks that their proverbial baby is beautiful and they think, you know, hey, I've, you know, I've got my funding, or rounds of funding, I'm getting press, I have all sorts of buzz around me, I get a thousand resumes a week or more. We got it, right? 
how do you compete against or work in tandem with those organizations while staying respectful and mindful of their effort and working with all these stakeholders that you mentioned, engineering teams, executives, board members? How, how do you how do you balance that? That that's got to be part of your your day to day, I imagine. Yeah, it's it's a great point, and and I think you said it right. It's it's being respectful and having uh, empathy for what they're going through. The reason one of the reasons we got into this space is uh, we we really did recognize that there wasn't a great uh, player, particular, you know, uh, recruiting function. We saw this coming, this storm coming of a security engineering and everyone was thinking of security as an IT function. And it that, that was true five to seven years ago. It's no longer true. It's, it is a function of, of IT or IT isn't a function of security more so these days, but it is not the preeminent uh, reason why people are, you know, companies are, are really focusing in this area. It is about the code. It is about protecting the code, which is your crown jewel that allows you to have a differentiation in the market. And just having an understanding that they have built great engineering organizations on their own using their network, using their network. But at some point, there is a realization that hiring for their first head of security, their CISO, it's a lot harder than most companies that most companies know. They, they may know a few uh, outstanding individuals in the space. But how to um, how to approach them? Uh, what's the scope look like? Uh, what are they? What's the reporting structure? What's the compensation, etc.? It, it's a much difficult, much more difficult search than most companies anticipate. And so the, the best thing that we can do in those situations is when we're approached by those startups, is to just be respectful and offer them things that we have built for the community. We're on our our fourth uh, version of our CISO compensation study that really breaks down by vertical, by region, by company size, type, et cetera, function. And we share that with those, those startups that are really needing, you know, to get them more educated. We give them, um, you know, conversations like this and say, you know, you, you need to understand the nuances in what you're trying to hire. And, um, and you need to have your narrative really strong. Like, what is your product goal? What's your mission? CISOs, are motivated by different things than engineers are. And, and you know, they are a, a cousin of engineering, but they are motivated by different things. Um, they, they are much more persuasive. It's, a, it's an influencer position. And so they need to understand all the different parts of the organization. And so it's really just more about having that respect and, and educating these companies. Most of the time they, they go off and do it on their own. You know, we're, we're, a, we're an acquired taste as a retained search firm. Not everyone uh, does want to you know, they're not, not in that much pain yet, but a, a good portion of them do come back and say, we, you know, we'd love to engage. Um, this is, this is what it's going to take. So uh, I don't know how, if I'm answering your question, but that's, that, those are some things that come up. No, for sure you are. And, and fair to say that the demand for talent and the talent pool is scarce. Given the number of jobs, are there enough qualified candidates to fill the roles? Because that's what's happening throughout most of tech, true for CISOs as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's. Uh, I think it, it's the experience that everyone else is having. I'd say there's you know one really qualified on the security engineering side specifically in the area like product level security, security engineering, appsec, however you want to define it, cloud security, devsecops. There's one really qualified leader for every ten positions out there, and um, and part of our what we what we do and what we hope to achieve with every one of our conversations whether it's a prospect or a client is to educate them from the from the very beginning saying look here's the data here's the statistics about what you're up against 
And so it's not just about us going and being a mercenary and bringing you a really nice package of, of candidates. The fact is that we will do that. That's, that's why we hone in on this one area. But the education is not just, hey, this is going to be really tough. I think every recruiter can say that. But it's also having a level of a relationship with our clients that tell them, you know, here's the data and here are the things that you need to be prepared for. Here's what you need to work on in your narrative as a company. Here's where your, your interviewers need to be sharp. You're not going to get a lot of swings of the plate um, if, you know, for all these things that you want to see. Um, and, 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 you know, here's, here's what the compensation should look like. Compensation is a huge thing. I think we can probably get into it a little bit, but, um, you know, here's what the reporting structure should look like. And uh, it, it, it may not be the same and most likely isn't the same that they've created as their little buckets of <laughs> um, yeah. reporting structure. It, a, a CISO, a really good CISO is going to break the mold of just about any company in all of those areas. And that's what the, that's what's difficult uh, is to, to educate the client, continue to tell them that story, show them the data so that they're not surprised. Um, and so we, we do this, we probably spend more time educating our clients than any other you know, single kind of activity we do. And we love it. I mean, they, they, and they listen, most clients do listen and they take the advice. We're there to just help them. So to make it, make it a more successful engagement for them. And it's fluid, right? You're the, the, the role is fluid. It'll continue to evolve. There's all the data inputs on geography and specific skill sets and background and vertical experience. You guys, I know have done a lot of work in publishing your compensation guides, which is taken from a ton of data. I know a lot of venture capitalist firms refer to that. All things that would be you know, serious endeavors for an internal recruiting team, let alone you guys that do this for a living. It takes a lot of time. The specific uniqueness of the search, I think, lends itself to, to, uh, to, to relying on the subject matter experts. Let me shift sort of to the other side of the table. If I'm a perspective engineer, um, security person in my career, what's my path? What advice do you give to people that are a few years into their careers and have aspirations of ultimately taking on the, the CISO role? What do, what do you recommend to those folks? Another great question. You need to really think about what the paths are in, in, your, uh, in your career. It doesn't have to be one path. But there, there could be buckets and it could really determine where you want to go. But in preparing to get there, let's say you really wanted to go down the, the CISO path or you wanted to be a, a head of cloud security, right? Uh, it doesn't have to be CISO, by the way. The nice thing that's happening right now is security is becoming so prevalent in, uh, in, in these organizations that, that we're starting to see some more unique opportunities and unique positions. So, you know, we're, we think 2000, by 2022, for instance, we'll start seeing much more category of chief trust officer, which will be hmm. privacy, fraud, security, physical, IT. Like you'll, you'll, you'll see it at almost like a competition to the chief digital officer hmm. where you're going, to get, you're going to see a collection of skills under what we would now call the CISO might be called the chief trust officer as an example. So there's, there's actually, uh, when we first started the business, it was very clear that you know, you're either on the CISO path or you weren't. But there weren't a lot of other options. We're starting to see uh, in the last three or four years, we're starting to see a lot more options as to where this business is actually going, where this this category, I should say, is really going. But back to your your specific question, one of the pieces of advice we always give uh, to, to younger up and coming leaders is they really have you really have to know what your your superpower is. We talk about this a lot. And and, and by the way, you don't just have one superpower, but uh, you know a superpower could be 
you know how to communicate with the engineering organizations to a point where they trust you to bring solutions to them and not just say, hey, no, you can't do it that way. You can't build it that way, but say, okay, I see how you're building it. Let's go ahead and translate that into all the different business risks for you. And I'm going to educate you and, and kind of guide you and give you some thoughts. And then, you know, the engineering team needs to figure out which path is the best for them to continue to, to meet those needs and build the products and to get it out the door, but to do it in a, in a responsible way, an expedient way. And so a really good uh, superpower we see is or a really common superpower in the security engineering space is knowing how to really build trust and credibility on day one with these teams. At the same time, a superpower could be, I'm able to take that highly technical code-based language and communicate that and translate it into pure business risk for the compliance team, for the audit committee, for the CEO, for the board. That's another superpower. There, there's literally endless examples of, of, of what the superpower is. But if you don't know what yours is and you aren't able to build evidence and artifacts around that, which is kind of the second part you know, really understanding what it is, then go and speak about it. Find the thing that you love to do. If it's speaking, if it's writing, if it's presenting, if you want to go to Black Hat or DEF CON and present on something, that that is, those are artifacts. Those are evidence. And that that helps with your brand. Your brand is then sitting on LinkedIn and other places and GitHub, wherever it might be. But whatever your brand is in the form of artifacts will really help you get to that line, that 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 goal that you're in. So that's kind of the biggest thing that we, you know, you need to understand where you celebrated your wins, maybe where there was tough times, you need to understand what those losses were, what did you learn from that, and really sort of build an entire marketing kind of plan around whatever your superpower is. And this is a point that a lot of a lot of uh, recruiters don't understand either. They're trying to specifically clients don't internal recruiters don't necessarily understand it, not to be hard on them, but they typically look at the whole package and say it, look, if you're not, if the candidate's not equal in all these areas, they're probably not a match for us because they're they're trying to fit it into their spec. And I see external recruiters do this as well. Like, you know, he might be a good match or she might be a good match, but she is missing this piece. If you just honed in on the superpower and uh, focused on that part alone, then you know that the candidate has the propensity to be excellent in one thing and probably in the 1% of that one thing more than anyone else in the world. Everything else they can probably learn or be mentored. And that's really the responsibility of an executive or a regular recruiter is to make sure that the client recognizes the superpower and say, hey, you know, John over here, he's missing presenting to the board. That's something you guys are going to have to step in and mentor him on. But he's got the other pieces that you just can't teach because that he, he has seven, 10 years of experience of working with engineers and high consequence code situations. That's kind of where this whole piece comes together. That's why you know, we haven't gotten into it, but that's where I think the whole recruiting engine is broken because people are really trying to match to everything when they really are, should be just matching to that superpower and then focusing on it from there. I, I love that. Uh, I'm going to steal it if that's okay with you because <laughs> one of the hardest things for candidates to do and human nature, it's hard to do is to talk about yourself and to promote yourself and to build your brand. And a recruiter's function in drawing that out of somebody or helping shepherd them to go and hone and create those artifacts that you mentioned is that's really impactful, not just in the search in front of them, but for their career. And if you put together a team that has individual collective superpowers, then you can open up the hall of justice, right? Um, I mean, that's, <laughs> that, there, there you go. Yeah. Just one other point yeah. on that. Is, um, 
you know, knowing your superpower is, is not an easy thing. And it, sometimes it takes a really good partner, recruiter, mentor, whatever that person is in your life to really extract it from you. Security engineers and security uh, leaders, um, whether you're an IC or a management uh, leader, they are pretty horrible at uh, promoting themselves. They are, they, are, they are amazing people. They're humble for the most part. They are mensches. They're always helping other people. They're always figuring out other problems for others. They jump in. Most CISOs that I know are on multiple boards, are on multiple mission-driven nonprofits, are working with diversity candidates, are doing all these things with different countries and promoting. I mean, the, 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 the things that I see, especially during the pandemic, the, 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 the community as a whole is built for crisis. It's built for a situation like the pandemic, and yet they still stretch themselves to help everyone else. 99% of the time, that is a really good thing. But d- during the times where there's so many companies looking for CISOs that really aren't prepared to be looking for a CISO, this is where CISOs get into trouble. They they spend a lot of time helping the client understand what they actually need to be hiring, even though the client's probably not going to choose them. But, but they're, they're so good and they're so humble and they'll always be willing to jump in and help mm-hmm. that... Um, you know, if you if you know if you're spending a lot of time kind of giving free advice to a company that really doesn't have their CISO uh, search right, that could be very taxing. Doesn't mean that's not, not they shouldn't be doing it, but we see this a lot. We see a lot of candidates being frustrated, spending 10, 20, 30 hours even with companies trying to teach them. You know, hey, here's what I think you're looking for. Uh, but you're not communicating it correctly. So this is sort of a, a separate topic, but it's something that we are very well aware of. And we probably take on 10 of those conversations a week of just candidates kind of calling and talking to us saying, I just spent all this time with this one particular company, not, not our searches, but you know other searches that are out there. Let's shift for a second and talk about you, Mike, and maybe your superpowers. Every guest that comes on the show gets this question, which is the Wayback Machine question. I, I've invented it or gotten my hands on one. Uh, I can put you in it to the point where you first started your career. What piece of advice do you share with young Mike based on the experience and what you know today? Uh, love it. W- without a doubt, I would have been a much better listener in my younger self hmm. uh, because I, I realized how much I missed out on learning by talking too much. I still talk too much. I can give anyone a run for their money, but but I but I've become a much more active and more thoughtful listener because of the experiences I've been through in my life. It just you know makes me want to learn more about them. And so I, I, that's without a doubt. You know how how do you listen better? How do you learn from from other people's experiences? How do you how are you putting yourself in their shoes if you if it's possible? Um, and so that, that's probably the big one for me, without a doubt. That that's that's good wisdom. I think I've mentioned before on this show. I have a, a a sticky note that says "Stop talking" taped to my computer monitor, and, and to listen more. It's it's a lifelong exercise. I I'm going to save the hardest question for you for last. Also referencing back on your bio uh, on your website, uh, which describes you as an obedient husband, caring dad, below average fisherman, and a world class air quotes meat smoker. Uh, your words, not ours. Um, <laughs> Actually, my business partner. You want to expand on that, or or do I need to hit the the mute button or uh, the beep button? <laughs> yeah, actually, my uh, my business partner put together those bios, but uh, <laughs> I'll blame him. Yeah, I would actually put. I would never want to claim myself as a world-renowned meat smoker um, because I mess up more more meals than I get right. But uh, I do love um, 
I have a green egg. I've had it for about uh, 12 years and I just really love that community and, and really spending time. It's, it's actually therapeutic for me. It's a great way to spend time at home with my family. If you've got an open fire going on here in the East Bay Hills, you don't want to be leaving <laughs> too long. So it's, it's just a great way to stay and, and, and get everyone involved. And then of course you get a big old hunk, hunk of meat afterwards that you can share with your family and neighbors. And it's a fun way to do it. Um, but uh, yeah, actually fishing is more, fishing and crabbing is more of my passion. It takes a lot more time, but that's 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 kind of where I am with that. Well, someday I'm going to have to come over and, and take a look. The, the first house I bought had a green egg and uh, lived there for four years, used it maybe once uh, above my pay grade. And there was a gas grill next to it. So um, we'll, we'll take that. Uh, we'll take that as a placeholder for another time. Mike, um, thanks for coming on. Before we go, uh, tell our listeners where they can connect with you and with Hinge. Yeah, pretty simple. I mean, uh, our website's just uh, www.hitchpartners.com, partners with an S. And um, our emails and everything are there, or you can just you can shoot me a LinkedIn. Um, and I uh, would love to talk to you about any questions you might have. Awesome. Thank, thank you for having me. Yeah, great. Great to have you. Best of luck as we kick off the new year and, and continue to dig our way out of of, of the pandemic and promise me you'll come back and we'll compare notes in a couple quarters. For our listeners, as always, keep the faith, keep grinding, keep safe, and we will see you next time on Hiring You. Thanks, Mike. Thank you.